G'day guys, and welcome to another Glory Days episode. And what a beauty it is, capturing the determination, resilience and survival of a sporting club who has refused to buckle against incredible odds. A huge thank you to episode sponsors, The Waters Family, Andrew Street, Simon Guest and Rob Blanco. They make them tough in Tumbarumba. This is the Tumbarumba Australian Rules Football Club's first 50 years story. Let it rip, Robbie. G'day guys, great to have you back for another Glory Days episode. This episode is a bit different to the previous as it looks at the history of the club, its formation, first game, first win, that took a while, first finals appearance, their first grand final and eventually its first ever senior premiership. You'll hear from the coaches, the characters, the players and the stories behind the club as they battle the odds and the obstacles within the town. Plenty happened on and off the field. And they're all told here, including the thoughts of one of the greatest ever players to come from southern New South Wales, who played at Tumbarumba. Hope you enjoy it. The siren went. I didn't know what to do. I just stood there dumbfounded, could hardly talk. And my wife came up and she gave me the biggest cuddle since the wedding night. And she was in tears and she nearly had me in tears, but, well, I think she did actually. Yeah, no, it was unbelievable feeling of success, relief and jubilation. 50 years of Aussie rules in Tumbarumba. Who would have thought that when the club played its first game in 1971, that it would be still going today in 2021 in a traditional rugby league stronghold where player recruitment and its geographical location were major challenges. In this episode of Glory Days, we'll take a look back at those 50 years as we talk to the players, the coaches, the volunteers, the characters, and the people who have shaped and provided the club with community sport in the Snowy Mountains town that's still going strong. I hope you enjoy Tumba Bloody Rumba, 50 Not Out. Tumbarumba, or the Kangaroos, as they're known, started in the Upper Murray Football League and are still there today. With one year of recess in 1996, the only season the club did not field senior teams. Die-hard rugby league supporters in the town showed concern at the time that a new Australian rules club formed a huge threat to its game. Once it was decided to form a club and compete, it took almost a year before they were admitted to the Upper Murray Football League after Wagga officials tried to convince them to join the Central Riverina Football League. A core group of 30 players trained throughout the 1970 season as preparations for its new beginning. So who had the drive and the passion to start an Australian rules club in Tumbarumba over 50 years ago? Long-time player, administrator and volunteer, Alan Waters explains. Merv Hannon, Peter Terry, Graham Bartlett and Jimmy Wiggins as the coach to my memory, were the, the main instigators. And, and the reason that they wanted to have a team was after a bit of research and a bit of uh, drinking in the hotel, they found that there was a large smattering of AFL people around the area. So the club was formed. After that, it was determination and not wanting to fail that kept the club going. And, and also, they had a team environment again. As they'd been away and come to Tumbarumba, they're all individuals and people would know that if you're a lot better off in a team. If you win, you celebrate, and if you lose, you commiserate. And that's what kept them going. There were many challenges for the fledging club on and off the field, with one of the first tasks for President Merv Hannon and the committee was to appoint a coach and recruit some players to fill two senior sides. 
Their home ground would be the Tumbarumba Showgrounds, the same venue as the Rugby League Club, who were playing on Sundays. Alan Walters explains. Was, well, one, lack of good players, facilities to run a game, recruiting coaches and players was a huge problem for us, and starting off in a rugby area was not the easiest because there was a bit of angst against us. Raising money, well, this was done by carting hay and cutting stringy bark glues, which we sold to the local factory at Rosewood, and, and they used to crush them up to make a pill called Rutin, R-U-T-I-N. It's a heart stimulant. So we cut leaves, we carted wood and sold raffles, basically the main form. In later years, we started supering pine trees and, and had lots of sheep drives where people had sort of donate a lamb or an old sheep or anything and, and we'd sell, get, gather them up and sell them in Wagga. Uh, yeah, as we got a bit older, the hay carting wore thin, so this souping <laughs> of the pine trees wasn't too bad. You just walked around and put a cup of super at the base of each tree, and it was good Good after a game of footy. You'd walk the bruises out on a Sunday, and then you'd have a barbecue and a few beers. And, and anyway, one of the days we were souping pine trees, I, as I was a bit older, I was the barbecue cook, but all the boys had come down out of the bush, in the, the pine tree bush, and they were as happy as larks. They'd come across a little marijuana plantation. <laughs> well, needless to say, it got harvested pretty quick. <laughs> they were all highly delighted. <laughs> we, had, we never had much trouble after that getting workers to come and see for the pine trees. Jimmy Wiggins and Simon Guest were appointed co-coaches. Wiggins had played the previous year at Kudjiwar and before that at Tintaldra, Cancobin, who folded in the 1960s. Simon Guest had played in Holbrook's 1970 Farrah Football League Premiership and at the end of the 1970 season took a Tumbarumba side to Kudjiwar for a scratch match. The Upper Murray Football League were pretty glad to have Tumbarumba enter the league as the fifth club. One of the older clubs, Bordawawa, was struggling for players at the start of the 1971 pre-season. Fortunately, Bordawawa were able to find players and fielded both seniors and reserves in 1971. The club's very first game was away to Federals on April the 17th, 1971, with Tumbarumba missing young gun Al Waters, who injured an ankle in the final practice match. They were also missing many players awaiting clearances, and this forced them to forfeit the reserve grade match. Cost of entry into the Upper Murray Football League in 1971 was 40 cents at the gate. Despite plenty of enthusiasm and excitement around the historical moment, the Kangaroos copped a 159-point hiding as Federals won 22-28 to one goal five. Wayne Reid kicked the only goal, while Mick Doyle, who went on to win the inaugural senior best and fairest, was named best player. It was a sign of things to come for the remainder of the season as Tumbarumba copped thrashing after thrashing, losing all 12 matches. The average losing margin in 1971 was 170 points. The club's highest score for the season was six goals for 40 against Coryong. The club's biggest loss was when Kajiwar kicked 36 goals 19 to Tumbarumba's one point. Kajiwar's Mark Fitzgerald kicked 19 goals in that game. The season highlight came when Tumbarumba defeated Bordawawa in the reserve grade in round eight to record the club's first ever victory. The club pulled a great recruiting coup for the 1972 season by signing John Cornish as captain coach. Cornish had coached Holbrook 
to a premiership in 1970 and prior to that had coached at Gongong Matong and had played at Narendra. Cornish also represented both the Southwest Football League and the Farrah Football League. John Cornish explained how he ended up in the hills and some of the challenges the club faced. Well, I think uh, Holbrook felt felt they needed needed a change because we'd uh, we'd won the seventy premiership, the first seventy one, and the seconds, and they called for for applications for coach. And I suppose I was a tiny bit miffed anyway. I thought it was thought it was time to, to retire. I was thirty two years of age and thought, well, I've had a pretty good innings, and uh, so I officially officially announced my retirement. But that didn't last too long because uh, the Tumba boys came down and put a fair amount of pressure on me to go up there and have a crack at that. So uh, that's how that came about. Game up there, we were beaten by 55 goals, I think. And the second, the end of the season, we're down to about 25 goal defeats. And the, the start of the uh, second year I was up there, we started off being beaten by about 25 goals. And then we won that last one that year against Corion. Two, we had a fair bit of opposition trying to get the... The rules started in Tumbarumba because it was a very, very strong rugby town. I had, I'd had several international rugby players come from there. They were very anti at a lot of people, so the uh, the, um, the bakers wouldn't sell the pies to the ladies' auxiliary. They had to go to Batlow to get their pies. The local paper wouldn't publish the scores, so they had a you know a fair sort, fair sort of a a job ahead of them to get the game started up there. But anyway, it, uh, we've managed to get it going. Oh, there's a, I think another story I did here, I think it's probably nearly true anyway, that the uh, VFL in those days yeah, donated half a dozen footies to the local school and apparently the headmaster wouldn't let them kick it. He made them throw it around and play rugby and I think he got his knuckles fairly badly wrapped, <laughs> wrapped over that. So Anyway, so it was, it was hard work for a kick-off, but anyway, they had a very sent a knot of, of committee or supporters and they stuck with it and we eventually got, got going. So that was, that was good. But I remember the first game I ever had, <laughs> I told this story the other night, We <clears throat> there was a fella, little fellow, Johnny Boschhausen, he, was a, he used to play soccer apparently and uh, right near the start of the game, he was way out in the wing all by himself and I thought, oh, he's going to take an easy chest mark here. So I started to make position to where I thought he'd probably kick it and he went, he went up and tried to head the bloody ball. So <laughs> we were playing in North Melbourne Colours and I'd never played in North Melbourne Colours and um, we were playing Walwell there in black and white stripes and I saw this bloke and the ball was between us and he and I gave, I thought, oh, I've got you. I gave him a proper shirt front <laughs> and he got up there. It was poor old Giller. <laughs> he got, got up. Oh, what the bloody hell did you do that for? <laughs> I said, God, well, I thought you were one of them. So I effectively got rid of one of our better players. <laughs> the club showed improvement in the next few years with another former Holbrook Premiership player, John McKenzie, recruited in 1973 as assistant coach to Cornish. Despite the addition of these quality players, the seniors could not crack that first win, going through 1972 and 1973 without a win. 1974 was heading the same way, and despite a couple of close matches, they went into the final home and away match still without a win in their first 47 matches in the Upper Murray League. Their opponent for the final round was Coriong, whom Tumbarumba had gone close to toppling twice during the year. In scenes generally reserved for grand final victories, the Kangaroos finally broke the drought, leading all day to record a 10-5-65 to 8-6-54 win. It was indeed celebrated like a premiership and lasted for days, 
John Macca McKenzie recalls the monumental upset and the celebrations that went for four days. And John Cornish said word had got around the town during the match that a win was on the cards. There wasn't a huge crowd at the ground, but apparently we, we must have been sort of nip and tuck or maybe in front all day because after the three-quarter time, I think word got round town and the pub's emptied and all of a sudden we've got a big crowd round the ground. I think the rugby people came up and gave us a bit of support. Got to the last game of the year and we lined up against Kevin Mack's side, Corion, Tumba Ground. We didn't think we were going to win and we took the women up, their wives, thank God, for the day just because it was the last game and they've had a bit of a do after for the last game of the year. Anyway, you wouldn't want to know up we got. And well, she was on for young and old. The lady says, just like winning the grand final from it was, first game ever. Merv Hannon was the president and Peter Terry, he had the motel up at Tumba. Because we took the women up, he said, oh, you better stay the night. And we had a book and we had a room each and anyway. It's 7 o'clock on the Sunday morning, there's a knock on our door. We're, we're, we're a crook and, uh, from the night before, anyway. There's that. There's all the young blacks. They lined up with eskies full of stubbies into it again. <laughs> this is very... Anyway, I said, oh, dude, better wait till we have some breakfast and get organised. So we had it started about 10 o'clock and Peter Terry said, oh, you better stay another day. <laughs> and that was all right. And uh, we finished up getting home on the following Thursday. Cornish returned to Holbrook for one year and Tumbarumba again finished bottom without a win. Sacking coach Alan Johnson mid-season with Ian Gilbert taking over to complete another winless season, making it just one win for the club in its first 60 matches. John Cornish returned as coach for 1976 and brought with him Holbrook big man Bertie Haynes who had immediate impact winning the league best and fairest award and the leading goal kicker award in the league. Tumbarumba finished last, but did win three matches. Haynes' teammate, John McKenzie, recalls Haynes' very first game for Tumbarumba in the pre-season. I'll never forget it. It was Bertie Haynes' first year up there. He came up to give us a hand out, and uh, we had a practice match, pre-season practice match, against the Manus Prison Farm. Anyway, <laughs> it was a good game. You know, played in good spirit and everything like this. Anyway, you wouldn't want to know, Bertie's first game up in Tumba gone into a bit of a scuffle with one of the bloody opposition players who was one of the criminals. <laughs> anyway, I just forget who was umpire, but it, they both got sent off. And and uh, the, bloke, the bloke he got into a tangle with, his, his name was McLaren. He, he, was, a, he was a real good uh, rugby league player. And they used to, he used to get out at the weekends and play with Tumbarumba and Group 13. But he had a disagreement with him. Anyway, off they went. Had to walk the length of the field to get off the ground. And uh, after the game, John Cornish, the coach, and he said, he said the, the boss of the prison prison fellows said he gave him a bit of talk and thanked him for the game and everything like that. And uh, we were going to have a keg after the practice match, you know, just why. And uh, he said, sorry, fellas, but he said, we'll give you a beer, but I don't think that allowed. And... Uh, Anyway, then they load them all back up on a cattle truck and took them back to camp. <laughs> cattle, cattle, cattle truck with a wire net over the top of it. Cornish stepped down as coach for Alan Waters in 1977, but stayed on as a player. The year turned out to be the ruse best yet, with the under-16s winning the grand final and the seniors qualifying for the finals for the first time in seven years. Cornish, like Haynes the previous year, took out the league best and fairest award. Alan Waters described John Cornish. What John brought to the club 
was how a team should play and perform in a game of football. I mean, there was a few of us who came from other clubs and, and knew what was the go was, but the vast majority had not and did not know a lot. As a footballer, you know, he was good in the air and he was very hard at the ball on the ground. And I, I would describe him, he was just silky and took no rubbish from anybody either. And, and, and off the ground, well, he was just a, tr a true gentleman. And as you said, we've became, we became friends then and the families became friends and we've been together. We've kept in touch ever since. Tumarama's opponent in the historic first semi-final was Bordawawa, who made the most of its home ground advantage, thumping the ruse by 71 points. The Magpies kicked 18 goals in the first half to blow Tumarama away, despite seven goals from Kevin Chambers. The taste of finals action continued in 1978, the year Tumut were admitted to the league, as Tumarama midfielder Peter White won the league's best and fairest award. It was also the year a young 17-year-old bank employee at the CBC Bank by the name of Dennis Carroll came to town and immediately made an impact as Bordawawa beat Tumbarumba in the first semi-final by 75 points. Carroll in that game kicked three goals. Carroll won the Tumbarumba Senior Best and Fairest Award the next year in 1979 before moving on to Albury in the Ovens of Murray Football League and then to South Melbourne, Sydney Swans, where he debuted in 1981. Tumbarumbra again lost the first semi-final, this time to Federals by 38 points. Carroll went on to become one of the great all-time players for the Swannies, playing 219 games, seven years as captain, being named in the Swans Team of the Century and Swans Hall of Fame inductee. Carroll fondly recalls his time at Tumbarumba. I was a young bank Johnny working with the old CBC bank at the time, which is now the NAB. Started in Lockhart where the parents had a family farm. Uh, they tended to move the, the young fellas around pretty quickly in those days or often. And I uh, had three months in Lockhart and then they sent me into Wagga, had nine months there. And then all of a sudden at 12 months, I'm, I've been sent to Tumba bloody Rumba. And the first thing that come to mind was, do they have an Aussie rules team? And uh, lo and behold, I get up there and thankfully they have an Aussie rules team. So that was, um, yeah, I, I got transferred with my work with the old CBC Bank, which I'm sure the building's still there on the corner as you're driving on the right. That was, uh, that was how I ended up in Tumbarumba. Obviously went down to training and met people so welcoming, like I think the club president, Peter Terry, and people like Peter Terry and, as I said, Merv Hannon were very much connected and running the club. And so, yeah, got along to training and that's that's where it started, so early 1978. Well, look, i pleasantly surprised. Look, and I was a 17-year-old skinny kid. This was my – I'd been playing with Lockhart back in – with the seconds back then, basically because I had a reasonable skill set. It was just that I'd, I'd hadn't grown and I was still pretty skinny and I don't think they wanted to throw me in and, with the Wolves the year before, but – so to get up there and start playing, you know, get a game in the seniors was a bit of a, you know, a thrill. I'm playing senior football. Didn't really worry me where that was. Yeah, the skill set, the energy and eagerness of the, the players and the club was just fantastic. So, you know, I fitted in there very easily. And, you know, some of the, I spoke a few of the administration people, but some of the players and, and lifelong friends, you know, people like Rob McKelvey and Scotty Stevenson, Eddie Lauder, Campbell Brooksby, you know, the, the, the Waters boys, you know, Alan, Roger, and I think Monty was just coming onto the scene. He was a bit younger then, probably playing in the juniors. Um, 
So they're just a few names. But, yeah, the skill set, oh, look, I was uh, – it didn't take a lot to impress me, mate. I was just a kid trying to find my way. Well, as I said, it was my first go at senior football, and I guess that's all I knew coming into that. And, um, yeah, look, uh, certainly the, the physicality of it was there. Um, I think I used to hang out in a half-forward flank or, or on a wing. I do vividly remember, you know, a couple of very helpful people in the in the team, you know, led by big Bob Murphy, who I think was, you know, well into his 40s at, his, at the time, and he was our ruckman, and he was... Uh, you know, he was a bit of an enforcer and certainly looked after us younger guys. So having um, people like that and uh, Rossi Wines down at fullback, you know, you you, never, you always knew you had support if you needed it. Yes, look, we fortunate enough to, to yeah, make finals both years. Unfortunately, as I said, we didn't win, win either of those. I do remember the first one down at Walwa and, and typically when you get to Walwa, you had to uh, get the sheep off the ground uh, before you run out. So uh, invariably, you're going to end up with a fair bit of muck on you by the time the game's over. The next year, we played in the finals again. And one of my great memories, and you know, just as we're about to run out through the banner, as we're running out through the banner, this did bring a chuckle to uh, to all of us that someone had let a kangaroo a joey kangaroo gun that was uh, it had blue and white tumbler streamers oh. all over it and it hopped pretty much the perimeter of the ground trying to exit uh, because the cars were all parked around it finally it, <laughs> it made an exit um, but it was just something to behold and that kind of typified uh, where i was at that part of my life it was fantastic and uh uh, truth be known, Rossi Wines uh, had a bit to do with that with a few of his mates. I got a knock on the, the back door of the bank one day in 1979. It was And it was from one of the recruiters from South Melbourne. They must have had their scouts all over the Riverina and, and upper Murray League. And um, he, he said, look, we'll keep an eye on you. He said, we'd encourage you to get to a get to a better league if you can. And then all of a sudden I was contacted by you know the Albury Tigers. Uh, went went down and still living in Tumbarumba for the first half of the year. I travelled down uh, just on weekends. I played with played with Albury in in uh, 1980. The second or third week of my arrival into Tumbarumba, there's a there's a certain mix there of Aussie rules and rugby league, and there was two very distinct hotels, and not too many from the Aussie rules hotel would venture down to the rugby league pub. But I thought, well, if I can't beat them, I'll join them. So I played cricket during the summer, and it was many of the rugby league boys, and um, I was one of the few Aussie rules blokes who could go comfortably into both pubs. So that was something that I thought was a bit of feather, bit, bit of a feather in the cap. Well, initially it was a shock, I was told by the bank I'm going to Tumbarumba. I was just a young guy, but then I soon realised, you know, it was a great place with great people and great opportunities. So from that, you know, I learned that, you know, you should always have an open growth mindset to to change, in this case, relocation and opportunity. No matter what happens, there's always an opportunity in, in most things. And, and that's how I looked at it. I think just, yeah, being able to being able to keep an open mind when things come from left field that you're not not ready for that people are people no matter where where you are that um you know if, if it's sport the locker room at tumbarumba was no different than the locker room at albury or the locker room at the sydney swans just the welcoming nature of tumbarumba back at the time and and during the summer period there was i'm sure they still do it now but you know the the hay carting which was there to help 
help local farmers, but also raise some money for the for the footy club. It was just we just loved it. You know, some of the hubs and the uh, that that atmosphere of you know all those little towns. I just uh, I've just got so many great fond fond memories from it. When I look back on that, I there's the club that gave me my first senior experience and and, and where I debuted. So. Uh, Oh, yeah, as I said, I've got great memories and I'll get uh, certainly get back there in, in some time in the future and have a good look around again. Bruce Forbes took over as coach in 1980 and again, the Roos made finals, finishing in fourth place. To make the finals, they had to beat topside Federals and Tumut in the final two rounds. However, this time, they made it past the first semi-final eliminator all the way to the grand final after upsetting both Bordawawa and Coriong on their home grounds. The pre-match entertainment prior to the preliminary final at Coriong was bush footy at its best, as Al Waters describes. Preliminary final day up at Coriong in 1980. We were all in the dressing rooms, getting ready, changed and ready to go when, when there was a hell of a horn tooting and a hullabaloo outside. A couple of our local supporters had let a kangaroo go. He had the blue and white paper on him and they reversed into where the ambulance was and, and opened the old hard top Toyota back door and the roo ran between or hopped between the boundary and the fence where all the crowd was and did a complete circle and you'd have, you'd have thought he was educated <laughs> and, and and when he got to where he was let out they'd shifted the Toyota and it, that was the first break so he hopped straight out that gap across the golf course and last seen dropping blue and white paper up through the cemetery in Corion <laughs> and, and hasn't been seen from that day till this. <laughs> Everybody thought it was a huge joke, uh, but the police did come and point the finger and said, yeah, look, great joke. You've had the fun. As we won that game of footy, don't do it again next, next week or anything similar. Yep. And we're law-abiding citizens up here. There you go. Happy days indeed. Anyway, back to the footy. A magnificent second half sent Bordawawa packing in a 22-point first final win, and then they finished all over Coriong to win the preliminary final by 16 points after scores were level going into the final quarter. Tumbarumba had qualified for their first ever grand final. A tired and injury-plagued Tumbarumba proved no match for Federals in the grand final, losing by 65 points to complete the club's best year to date. Bruce Forbes, the coach, won the league best and fairest award and recalls how he got to Tumbarumba and his memories from the grand final. I was in teacher of social sciences. Tumbarumba was my first promotion position there, so I, I had my list too. I was appointed to Tumbarumba High as the social science head teacher, now where I had a staff of about seven there in a school which had about 250-odd uh, kids. When I got to there... I thought, well, no, what a, what a great little school to be working in, and that's that's how that's how it was. Of course, when it was noted that I was leaving Wagga, it didn't take long for the uh, grapevine to pick up that I was coming up there. I was wasn't going to play football anymore. I I had felt that I was time it was time to retire. There were people up there uh, who thought otherwise. You can be the coach as well, and or okay, okay, I did that. And then uh, Peter Terry, he organised a, a house for me up there. And that was that was the first time that I had actually received any sort of uh, remuneration for playing football. So it was quite a strange phenomenon, I suppose, that I decided I was going to retire. And I ended up uh, paid or being covered for uh, a housing and accommodation up at Tumba. 
which was uh, yeah, great, really. Well, making the grand final was fantastic, but I think there's a lot of lot of other stuff which came before that. The work of the the club itself was such that we had moved from the showground, which, as you will probably realise, was a rodeo ground in, in essence, and a place where where they played a fair bit of rugby league. And we moved from there across to the sports ground about mid-season, be three or four games in. And once we got on to the sports ground, uh, well, we had a much better training facility. Uh, there were some club rooms that were built there. There were lights put onto the ground. And I think that that was a condition, or they were conditions that improved the uh, ability to train and then to work as a football team. Then we can do it for a lot longer. How much do I remember about the grand final? Well, not a whole lot. We weren't as successful, but I know that in the first five minutes, I was badly injured. So I ended up with a a very bruised shin which just bled throughout the game and I ended up coming off you know, somewhere through the third quarter, I think. We were we were going fairly well, but it just reached the stage where they were they were they were too good. They had us covered in most most positions and we weren't able to beat creative. The the game itself was pretty hard fought and a disappointment, but you've got to take that. Forbes continued coaching for another two years, with Tumbarumba finishing fifth both years and missing finals. The 1981 year was a memorable one for Forbes and the club when he was suspended for 15 matches in round one for handling an umpire. Forbes explains the incident and the aftermath. Round one, 1981. Now, that was a game that I probably I probably want to forget. But the, the, the situation was such that um, we we're, were on the field. I'd, I'd won the league best in Ferris the year before and we were on, on the field and we had a certain umpire there. I don't know whether I should mention his name, but I... So I won't. By about half time, I, I had you know, 17, 18 free kicks that were called directly against me for various reasons. I, I was starting to lose my crew a bit. So I went off the ground at half time and spoke to the president, Mal Bartlett. And I said, listen, Mal, I don't think it's much value us going back onto the paddock. And I said, no, we, we're just being crucified out there in terms of uh, free kicks against. And, and he said, no, no, we can't do it. We've got obligations. We've got obligations. And so we went back on after half time and in about five, ten minutes, I suppose, into the third quarter, I was coming through a pack. I had the ball in my hands and I broke, broke the pack and he blew the whistle against me. He said, you can't come through that hard. You'll hurt someone. I decided then, well, why, why don't I take your whistle? And so I manhandled him and tried to take his whistle. I said, because telling him, I thought that I would be able to do a better job than him. It came to pass then that I was uh, called up for manhandling, not, not manhandling, but manhandling the umpire. Went down to the tribunal and, and in typical Upper Murray fashion, now you'd have to call it a kangaroo court. <laughs> they handed out a full 15 week suspension. So I got the fifth, took the 15 weeks, and so that was the end of uh, 1981 as a, as a season for me because that just happened to cover every home and home game. And anyway, halfway through the season, I get a phone call, and my wife actually took the phone call and it came from the president of the Upper Murray Football League. And it, uh, in the previous year, I was the captain and the coach of the Upper Murray Football League playing in interleague games. He said to my wife, um, no, well, no, Bruce is only suspended from playing with Patumbarumba. He can still play for the league. So you can imagine what my wife Leslie had to say. And, uh, I think uh, I think it came to pass that she burnt me football boots after that. Anyway, 1980 was also the year the club moved its home base to the Tumbarumba Sports Ground after 11 years at the Rugby League Ground. Current president Monty Waters explained what the move meant to the club. It certainly gave us our independence. 
and a feeling that we actually belonged in the town sort of for the first time because we actually had our own ground. You know, we were always made to feel like we shouldn't have been at the showground. But for a long time, we were made like feel like we shouldn't have been in Tumbrumba, but we definitely shouldn't have been at the showground, shouldn't have been sharing their facilities. But it was great to, to move, have our own ground, and yeah, a sense of we belong here now. But you know, you'd drive past and you'd see the goalposts up and no rugby posts on the same ground. You could drive past and say, yep, that's our footy ground. Um, so yeah, that was that was massive. It was a bit unfortunate uh, we didn't get club rooms to go with it, and we still don't have club rooms. Tumbarumba finished last in both 1983 under local panel leader Graham McAllister, and in 1984 under Alan Smith from Mangapla. While 1985 under John Dole resulted in a fifth place finish. The next three years, Tumbarumba played finals with North Wagga ruckman Greg Johnson coaching in 1986 and 1987. Johnson was the region's Arnott's Biscuits travelling salesman. Former East Wagga midfielder Kerry Bourne coached in 1988. In 1989, local product James Crozier took over the coaching reins and after a last place finish in his inaugural year, the club rose again to finish second after the home and away rounds in 1990. Tumbarumba lost both finals matches to eventual Premier Bordawawa and Coriong. In a better result, Tumbarumba took out the under-13s grand final. James Crozier, at the completion of his career, was the game's record holder at Tumbarumba, with 342 senior games in a brilliant career that featured six club best and fairest awards, four years as senior coach, and plenty of representative footy for the Upper Murray League. Crozier explains how he started at Tumbarumba and a valuable lesson learnt at training one night by coach Bruce Forbes. Started by coincidence, actually. I was playing rugby league when up until I was about 13. Went to training, rugby league training, and they'd called it off. So I was there, lived 10Ks out of town. My mother was working, so I wasn't picked up till 6 o'clock. Looked across the field, and uh, my mate i just met that year, he come up from Melbourne, Mad Richmond supporter. He was playing for the AFL under-16s, and I, he come over and said, you might as well train with us, and you can't get home. I ended up training, training with him and played that week because um, I was playing up in rugby league. And, uh, yeah, never went back. I found that it was just a better game, suited me better as a running player and the tackling come in handy. Yeah, we won the premiership that year, which made it a lot more attractive. Under-16s, first one for Tumbarumba. Senior year, it was one of the biggest eye-openers um, under Bruce Forbes, a tough sort of a character school teacher, actually. Taught that year, my first year, and then coached me <laughs> in the afternoon. He um, coaches to our first shot at a grand final in 1980, which was good experience for me, first year of senior football. Toughened me up a bit to look up to the, a bloke like that. And he certainly, uh, I don't know it's one of the funniest things, it's the thing that sticks in my mind. I was about two years in his second year of coaching. I think I might have been, uh, you know, out working and getting a bit cocky. I was at training one day and he, I think we are doing the crisscross handball. Must have been joking around a bit and next minute he's come through and cleaned me up. <laughs> he broke me nose, had blood pouring out of me. He said, he said yeah, you better start concentrating on what you're doing instead of mucking about. The next seven years to be some of the toughest and testing times for the club with just four wins in that period. That included the club going into recess for the 1996 season. The club was on its knees and looking down the barrel of extinction. 
Not surprisingly, it was James Crozier who stepped up into the coaching role for the return to the competition football in 1997. Steve Reid was president for a seventh term. Despite just one win and another wooden spoon, the club was back and planning was well underway for a rise up the ladder. Aaron Washington was recruited for North Wagga as coach and with some new recruits and renewed enthusiasm around the club, the Kangaroos shored up top spot with Bordawawa heading into the finals. In one of the closest grand finals in years, Tumbarama took a match-high lead of 15 points into half-time as a first-ever senior premiership was looking good for the taking. However, a Steve Reid goal late in the second quarter proved to be Tumbarama's last for the match. They were still leading by eight points at three-quarter time. Tumbra were hanging on for dear life before a miraculous goal from the boundary with just two minutes remaining broke the deadlock for Bordawawa to win six goals 10 to five goals 10 and take its sixth premiership in nine years. James Crozier, who was best for Tumbarumba in that match, recalls the game. Yeah, the main thing's to stick out there. There's a few boys a bit aggressive and the umpires didn't like it. We ended up man down a couple of times and we we're still in the lead I think going into the last quarter but there was a horrible afternoon with the wind I think there was end up blowing up a bloody couple of goal winning against us in the last quarter and while we're just pipped us at the post. 1999 had Steve Reid stepped down as president after eight years. Monty Waters took over and Aaron Washington was the coach again in a year that Tumbarumba took out the club championship for the first time as the seniors finished third and James Crozier won his sixth and last senior best and fairest at the Ruse. A new millennium arrived and a new coach with Washington departing and Scott Hoare from Coryong given the role that lasted one year with Tumbarumba making finals and Marcus Clark winning his second senior best and fairest. Bullio joined the league in 2001 giving the Upper Murray League six teams for the first time since Tumut left the competition in 1985. Laurie Hannon, who played in the 1977 Under-16 Premiership, took over as senior coach and they made it to the first semi-final. The next seven years, despite good success in reserves with two premierships and three runners-up and five junior premierships, the seniors missed finals from 2002 to 2008. They had the right man in Max Duncan, who coached in 2005, he missed 2006 and then four straight years from 2007 to 2010, with the highlight being the 2009 grand final appearance. Bullio proved too strong for Tumbarumba in the 2009 grand final, winning 12-9-81 to 7-14-56, as the senior premiership still eluded the Kangaroos. Tumbarumba's effort was a lot closer than was tipped in the media. Max Duncan recalls that period for the club and the build to the grand final. The year before I was coaching Kudjiwar and I was expecting to be back there in 2005. Unfortunately, they were going for a playing coach. So they, they went that way with the assistant coach I had under me the year I coached there. So that was it. I accepted that. And a mate of mine, I think, rang Tumbarumba up and said, oh, if you're looking for a coach, give him a ring. I think it was in November or something like that. Mont rang me up and asked me about coaching and I wasn't real keen because of what just happened. And I just said to him, mate, look, if you haven't got anyone six to eight weeks before the season starts, I'll give you my word, I'll come up and coach. That's what ended up happening. But finding out later on, Mont didn't even try looking for a coach. They just, you know, well, he's given, I gave my word. My word means everything, mate. You give your word, you do it. When I got there to travel 150 Ks for the first trainer night and have eight blokes turn up, you know, I thought, well, 
there's not much you can do with eight. The, half the kids play rugby league, the other play Aussie rules, and some of them help each other out. So you'd have maybe 10 or 12 guys training for rugby league, 10, say, 10 guys training for Aussie rules. My idea was pre-season, why not train together, do all your running together? That way you can get a lot fitter and more numbers. I think there was a little bit of animosity between the, the rugby league club and the Aussie rules club. So I just left it at that. I watched what came out and I seen used to, what used to run around in the resis would play rugby league on a Sunday and all these guys be running out in the resis. And I'm thinking, well, there's about eight guys in there that could play senior football. But to cut a long story short, I, near the end of the year, I said to Mont, you know, like, the only way I'll come back next year is if you start looking after the local blokes. I just bit the bullet and said to, said to them, look, I won't come back in 2006 unless you're prepared to look after the locals. They said, oh, look, we don't pay the locals. And I said, well, I won't come back. Got a phone call near the end of the 2006 season saying, look, we want you to come back and coach the club. And I said, yep, on, you know, my terms is it's got to be, you got to look after the locals. And they said, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. I ended up back there in 2007 where, well, we knew where we were. We couldn't go any lower than what we were. So it was all about blood and all the young kids. I don't say they had great footballers in Tumbarumba. They had great sportsmen. A town like this producing really good sportsmen. I don't like, like I said, not footballers, sportsmen. And I said, if I can get those guys into this club, pay them and look after them, that means the less blokes I have to recruit to the club. And I put all the local kids in and they were like 16, 17-year-old. They, they were so talented. We, we won one game for the year with those guys in it. And then in 2008, I got another couple of guys to come up. I just said, right, we'll look after all the local kids. We blooded them. We won four, five, I think five games that year in 2008. Tumbarama had some great local players like Wade McPherson, Andrew Whitteson, the Malkinton boys, John Cameron, Laney. There were so many good local kids there. What people don't realise, when we took that, in 2009, when we played in that grand final, there were 16 local guys running around in that side. And we only had three guys over the age of 21 in that grand final side. The average, nearly, the near average age of that side was 18, 19 years of age. And we had like Robbie Byatt, he played. I had eight rugby league guys playing in that side. So left our highest paid player was on $200 a game. Like I said, we didn't have a big budget. The community absolutely loved them. You know, like, as you know, Rob, you know what, what, what happened and with my side. And, and if it wasn't for those people and, and that league, I would have, you know, I, I must probably wouldn't have been here, mate, to be honest. Duncan stayed on as an assistant coach to new 2011 coach and local boy, Matt Malkintin, who was back at the club and would marry the granddaughter of inaugural Tumbarumba president, Merv Hannon. Tumbarumba missed the finals in 2011 but with five wins for the season, they showed they were not far off taking the next step. The planning for 2012 started immediately after the final round in 2011. Matt Malkintin explained the recruiting process. We, uh, 2011, when I first coached, we had just had a lot of locals, a lot of juniors coming up through, kids that have sort of played, played all their careers there. And we had a fair Aubrey connection, um, you know, Adrian Williams, Garth Thomas, Kane Richard and Kane Richards and the um, the Brooks boys. So uh, in 2012 they all left. They all stayed down in Aubrey. So I, I talked to my mates back in Wagga and we kept in contact with them over the 2011 season. And Shane Mack, who's one of my one of my good mates, he um, 
he said, oh, well, if you go again, I'll, I'll come down. And we had a meet with him and his brother Chase, and, and they were the first two we signed. And then, yeah, we picked up a few other boys out of out of Wagga who, who we sort of all played a bit of footy together at some stage over there and sort of all around the same age bracket and, and pretty good mates. So, yeah, we picked up those boys, and we still weren't tipped to do that well. Funnily enough, um, the border mail rid us off and, and had us finish in fifth, and we actually had Bullio round one. <laughs> who were the, the reigning premiers and, you know, a powerhouse in the, in the comp. Um, we had them round one at home in Tumba and we ended up beating them by 10 goals. And I think <laughs> everyone sort of stood up and going, hang on a minute, these blokes are, can play. So, yeah, it, it, probably the main the main difference was we just picked up a lot more personnel. Blokes, you know, who were fresh and ready for a change out of Wagga, they, they played there for a while and, and just were getting a bit stale at their clubs and doing their thing. And, you know, I think we picked up the right, connection as well you know the blokes who come in and and buy in and turn up to all your functions and and enjoy the enjoy the club as much as as much as i did yeah we we just picked up a good a good group of blokes to mix in with the young local talent that we had like jimmy waters nico my little brother uh quinn rooney jack kelly uh and the vogan boys so we had we had a sort of good base we just needed to to get that um few key positions and, and those other players in the side for the first time in the club's history, they finished minor premiers, one game ahead of Bullio. The two sides met at Tumbarumba in the second semi-final, and after surviving a late comeback by Bullio, Tumbarumba won by 15 points to proceed into the grand final again at home in a fortnight. Local shopkeepers in the town got on board ahead of the grand final, with the town a sea of blue and white along the main street. To the surprise of many, Kajiwar upset Bullio in the preliminary final, Bullio had won the last four premierships. In front of over 2,000 spectators, Tumbarumba completed the fairy tale premiership, coming from 33 points behind at half time to win 13-11-89 to Kajiwar 12-4-76. Coach Matt Malkintin, who kicked five goals, recalls the match, the lead up, and that winning feeling. The lead up to it, so uh, Tumbarumba had never won a a minor premiership in the at this stage they were going 42 years so we'd never had a minor premiership we'd made grand finals before but never won them either so yeah we we obviously played some pretty good footy throughout the year we lost two games you know but it was just the buy and the belief was there we ended up securing the minor premiership and that was actually at Kaji War against Kaji War and we locked that away uh, in the last game of the season, Amy, my wife, she was. Uh, we were expecting our first child, and it was. He was due um, the week after the grand finals. There was the the whole question over the final series: what if, what if, and you know. So we sort of me and Amy's trying not to uh, to buy into it too much, and she didn't want that pressure on her with with the comp up there. So. We obviously finished minor premiership and we got the home semi against which we went out and we won in in the Upper Murray comp. If you if you win that first major semi final, then you you lock away a home grand final. So it was a huge yeah huge mate. Uh, it was unreal. So yeah, the the sort of build up to that, the, you know, the town was blue and white. Every every shop front had had some streamers or some some messages of support or or something going on. It was it was unreal. Sort of the the buzz around town. Obviously, grand final day rolled around and yeah, you know, Amy's heavily pregnant. She's looking like she's got a basketball up her shirt and she's we're driving down actually from Wagga. Yeah, she was as nervous as me. Luckily, um, it all worked out and, and she uh, she held on and we said the grand final, we didn't start out too well. They, they got the jump on us and, and were playing some pretty good footy and, you know, they, they had a good side, obviously. Yeah, at halftime, we were about 33 points down and a fair bit of work to do, obviously. Pulled everyone in at halftime as you do and, and sort of gave the, the main address and 
and this and that. And, you know, there's a massive crowd just circling the players' huddle. I think there was, you know, over 2,000 people there that day or something to watch us. And, and most of us, most of them were local. Massive crowd just circling around us and, and sort of listening to, to what we had to say and, and what was going on. And I just remember sort of looking around and seeing everyone and thinking, holy, you know, there's a lot of people here. And yeah, yeah, we stayed on, on the ground, so um, which is something we'd done all year, sort of didn't want to mix it up too much. So I just remember sort of taking everyone away after we'd sort of done the main address, said, right, let's go warm up. So we sort of took everyone away from the crowd, a bit of time to ourselves before we before we actually got into the warm-up. I just remember Aaron Horcroft. So he's one of the boys we, we picked up from Wagga. I remember him just saying before we go out, just let me let me have a few words. So we, we'd gone away to get a bit of peace and quiet to ourselves to just assess, I suppose, before we before we went back out there and, and Hawkey wanted to say a few words. So he, he had the floor and quick background he's um he's got a young fella who's who's autistic and, and blind and, and they've had a pretty pretty tough trot over the journey with him yeah he just gave a a a bit of a speech and just sort of basically we're just playing a game of footy it's not that hard you know if you think you've got it hard then then here's my situation type thing sort of just brought everyone down a little bit to to earth and and thought you know this is nothing compared to what what Aaron goes through sort of on a daily basis just one of those times where it just it was just a great a great speech he sort of Worded it well, sort of laid out his situation. It wasn't after sympathy. He's just saying, look, this is this is what I go through every day. You think this is tough? Come and spend a week with me sort of thing. But I just, I just remember that as one of the moments of, of the day. And then, yeah, we, we come out after half time and it all just sort of clicked. We started playing some good footy and moving it well. And oh, another message I sort of gave him at half time was the fact that we'd played them three times throughout the season and, and once in a final and we'd never been in front at half time. So... We've worked our way back from in every game, and, and we beat them three out of those four times. I knew we'd finish well. Um, I knew we sort of we could come from behind against them. Um, it was just a matter of sort of, I suppose, holding our nerve and, and finding our footy, and, and we did that, and, yeah, obviously got the job done. So I remember that the uh, the final siren, you know, <laughs> just absolutely swamped. There was there was people running onto the field everywhere. You know, blokes, people, old hard and farmers were running up crying and, just the the emotion on at that final sign was was amazing. You know, I sort of met the old man, gave him a hug, and then sort of was looking around for for Ames, and then <laughs> I see a sort of waddling over, still belly full of of baby, and and holding it together. And yeah, it was just a an amazing moment that that final siren. But yeah, to to land that one, you know, the first one for the club. Being a local, grew up, you know, in the hard times when we, you know, AFL wasn't wasn't a big sport in the town. It was more of a league town, and Going through the, the tough years, the lean years, where we used to get sort of touched up on a regular basis. Yeah, it was just amazing to to get that and have that feeling. And we were, we did have a lot of lot of locals that had played a lot of footy at the club as well coming through. And yeah, it was just it was something really really special about that day. And obviously it was good to get the get the job done on the day. But yeah, I still sort of get chills now talking about it and, and remembering things. And and um, yeah, the that final sign was just, yeah, something else. You know, the, the song in the middle of the ground, you know, the players just linked arms. And we had Mont in there as well, who's obviously a pretty big feature at the club. And um, he's done a lot of hard years as president and something that was, was pretty special to everyone. But um, obviously Mont sort of put in a lot lot of hard yards over the journey. And to belt out that song and, and then, you know, you have your moments in the in the change rooms after it. And you, you hold the cup and you think, is it real? And then you look at your medal and you yeah, it's just a very surreal moment for a while there and yeah, something I'll I'll remember forever and, and treasure forever. 
So yeah, it was amazing to to get that with the brothers and and have that and yeah, something something pretty special. Malkin Tin, who played over 150 games at Tumbarumba, won four club best and fairest and was runner-up three times in the Upper Murray League best and fairest, as well as several leading goal-kicking awards. His high regard and esteem at the club was confirmed when he was named captain coach of the Tumbarumba 50-year team. The 2012 Premiership was even more special, playing alongside his older brother Josh and younger brother Nick. His wife Amy is the granddaughter of inaugural Tumbarumba president Merv Hannon. Sadly, Merv passed away prior to the 2012 Premiership, but his memory and presence stays on forever after his ashes were spread across the sports ground in 2013. Amy's father Glenn also played at the club and her uncle Laurie was a player and coach at Tumbarumba. The momentum continued into the next season, 2013 as the Kangaroos under new coach Shane McIntosh completed the most successful season in its history, not losing a game to make it back-to-back flags in front of another huge crowd at the Tumbarumba Sports Ground, defeating Bullio 15-12-102 to 10-9-69. To complete a magnificent day for the club, they won the reserves and the under-16 premierships and were runners-up in the under-13 grand final to complete the greatest season in the club's history. Steve Barnes, he took out the league best and fairest award. Monty Waters, who is currently in his 20th year as club president, recalls the achievement of both premierships. 2012 was it was just a massive sense of achievement. Yeah, look, it it was a long time in the making. As you know, you don't just win a premiership overnight sort of thing or in one year. It was something we'd worked towards. But yeah, no, it, it felt like the monkey was off our back finally. 2013, oh, while it was huge, it you know it, it wasn't as big as the first one. The crowd, you know, was nowhere near the first crowd. Like in 2012, anyone that had ever played with the club came and you know back to barrack for us. All the other five, the four clubs in the Upper Murray were all barracking for us because we were the underdogs. Yeah, no, it was massive. I remember. So we were sponsored by the bowling club. Anyway, Maddie and I obviously celebrated a little bit at the ground and I think we had to go past the pub. I said to him in the pub, I said, mate, we've just got to get to the bowling club with this bloody cup or they'll lynch us if we don't get there too soon. Well, (laughs) I don't know. I don't reckon we got there before 7 o'clock and like we'd finished before 5 and Maddie and I snuck in the side door and nobody even freaking knew we were there. Like the place was just packed. Like, it was unbelievable. Like, everyone, as I say, that had ever supported the club were there that night. To have my son, James, play in that first senior flag we ever won, like, that was massive for me on a personal level. Club stalwart Mal Vogan, who coached junior sides for many years, said the strength of the juniors of the club played a big part in the premiership success. Vogan explains. It wasn't that hard to get kids. You're obviously, because we played on a Saturday, you're competing against minor league, but we always had reasonably good numbers. That was probably the stellar area for that era for those under 16s. Like we won in 11 years, I think we played in 10 grand finals and we won six of them and had a golden run from uh, Rob, as I said, coached in 2007, and we won four in a row to 2010. Probably the secrets to it, we were. We were lucky. We always picked up, because minor league went to under-15s, 
and played on a Saturday. Once they got to under 16s, they play on a Sunday. So you usually get maybe one or two rugby league blokes coming across to play. And then, well, my blokes played league as well. You know, it was a bit of a reciprocating. You come and help us out, we'll help you. Another interesting thing, we two people up here, Gary and Di McClellan, used to host exchange students every year. And we'd get, um, I think, well, I had the case of a Frenchman, a German, a Denmark, a Danish young fella. Um, like, had three or four in those times. And they'd come and play, a lot of them. A couple of them were, uh, they all had a soccer background and you just teach them. It was good taking them through, trying to teach them something new. They were always really keen. It was all, I probably didn't say it at the beginning of the year, but I, after a couple of years, I said, look, always said to the kids, look, this, this age group's got a good history. You know, you, you can achieve something if you want to apply yourself to it. Sometimes you get a response, sometimes you don't. Sometimes I'd bring it out later in the season and say, well, this, this is an opportunity you're never going to forget about. Don't walk away from it. But apart from wanting to be successful, I, it didn't always work, but I was always trying to kid, teach kids to play football correctly and trying to, I didn't want them just to grab the ball and kick it anywhere and play as though you're going to be a first grade footballer, you know, try to pick up the ball clean, one touch, one hand, all, of, all those basic things, which I remember saying, well, we've got to aim, that'll be a year when we'll have a lot of good kids if we can just get someone around them you know, a bit of a decent aged footballers to play with them. And 2010, they won the premiership very cleanly, clearly. And then out of that side in 2010, in 2011, nine of them played first grade the next year. They didn't all progress through, but they all played, nine of them played that first year, which I was incredibly proud of. And that year we got Manny Malkin back. And then in 2012, Manny got some good football mates of his from Mara to come in. So that was sort of a, that was what we were thinking. It's not often you get a, you know, opportunity to think about something four years previous and say, well, that's what we've got to aim for. And it actually worked out right. The remainder of the decade was a mixed bag for the Kangaroos with three successive finals appearances after the back-to-back premierships, resulting in three straight first semi-final losses to Bullio in 2014 and 15, and then a loss to Kudji War in 2016. Matt Howarth, a premiership star from 2013, took on the coaching in 2014 before Dean Spencer and Ben Carey shared the role in 2015 and 16. During the period between 2007 and 2019, on only two occasions did a Tumbarumba junior team not play in a grand final. The 2017 season was a tough one for the senior side, going through the year without a win. 2018 was not much better with just one victory. 2019 was a better one for Tumbarumba, playing off in the first semi-final under the coaching of Mitch Fennessy, who was also the coach in 2018. But like most competitions across Australia in 2020, the Upper Murray Football League was cancelled due to the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic. The league at the time was once again the subject of more bureaucratic reviews, surveys and opinions on its survival and viability. Well, once again, the clubs refused to buckle and the 2021 season started with five teams competing and Tumbarumba are doing very well in second place. President Monty Waters and club steward believes the introduction of netball has been a major part in the club and the league still surviving. The final word on Tumbarumba's first 50 years goes to Alan Waters, 
the man who was there to pull on the boots in the first season, and he's still there now supporting and serving his beloved kangaroos and the Tumbarumba community. Well, it, it's basically my life. I'm very proud of the club in the fact that I was there at the start. I had a lot of enjoyment out of that club. It was your winter's entertainment for young people. I met a and made a lot of friends. I was able to impart some of my knowledge to the younger people and they're still playing today. And yeah, it just makes me feel very proud. And I'm sure that my mother and father who both passed would be very proud to know that their efforts weren't in vain in the early days and we're, the success we're having now. And it's giving, it's giving the locals kids a go too. And, and you get with the netball coming and the boys and girls get down there, they're off the streets and they're having a way over time. Yeah, it, mean, it means a lot to me. I'm very proud of it and uh, I hope it goes for another 50 years. The Tumbarama Football and Netball Club celebrated its 50-year anniversary at a gala ball on June the 19th, 2021, and on the night, named its team of the half century. The team is, from the back line, Alan Waters, Peter Hutchison, Ross Wines, halfbacks, Marcus Clark, Russell Thompson, Nigel Clark. Centre line, James Crozier, Bruce Forbes, Dennis Carroll. Half forward, Laurie Hannon, Tim Seymour, Adrian Williams. Full forward line, Nick Malkintin, Matt Malkintin, Campbell Brooksby. The Rucks, Ron Heistek, John Cornish, Ross Campbell. Interchange, Lindsay Seymour, Paul Williams, Robert Ellis, Tom Bennett. The coach, Matt Malkintin, the assistant coach, Max Duncan, and the captain, Matt Malkintin. wonderful first 50 years for Tumbarumba, who have managed to keep football going in the snowy mountains town despite many challenges on and off the field. Once again, a massive thank you to episode sponsors, The Waters Family, Andrew Street, Simon Guest and Rob Blanco. But for now, thanks for listening, stay safe and we'll catch you again on the glory days. <laughs>